ओम नमो भगवते वासुदेवाय ओम नमो भगवते वासुदेवाय ओम नमो भगवते वासुदेवाय भगवते नम इद यो नामुदयोगुदयोगुदयोगुदयोगुदयोगुदयोगुदयोगुदयोगुदयोगुदयोगुदयोगुदयोगुदयोगुदयोगुदयोगुदयोगुदयोगुदयोगुदयोगुदय
describes not only the kingdom of God, but the king also. As Srila Prabhupada often said, there's no king without a kingdom. And he often gave that example. That we, we talk of God, but that means there must God is not alone. He has all his paraphernalia, his kingdom. So also there's no kingdom without a king. And the important thing in the kingdom of God is God. Otherwise it's meaningless. Swargaloka. In this material world there's Swargaloka. It's an imitation of the kingdom of God, but it suffers from the same defect as everywhere else in this material world that everyone's aspiring to enjoy the happiness of the kingdom of God without God, which is not possible. In many ways, the descriptions of the kingdom of God and the descriptions of Swarga seem the same. Everyone has beautiful bodily forms. There's a general spirit of enjoyment. The weather is very nice. Everything is very opulent. There's no manifest old age. That means the, the residents of heaven, they don't, they don't get you know, wrinkles. Their bodies don't smell. They don't get so many, generally don't get diseases. Just that there are so many diseases. That's why the doctor, they become a doctor, then you become a specialist, then you become a super specialist, and you still don't know how to cure people. A few years ago I had a stone. Anyone ever had a stone, kidney stone? Anyone had? You had? It's very painful. I can testify. So I went to a... Anyway, one of my disciples has stones regularly, so when I... When it, it, it hits you all of a sudden. All of a sudden you get this tremendous pain. And he knew what to do, so he got some some leaf and crushed it and made some juice and I drank it and it was finished immediately. I mean, within, within an hour. Well, I'd, you take the juice and then you wait for and then you drink lots and lots of water and it was finished. Did the job. Yeah, the stone is called Patternashak uh, or something like that. So anyway, I went for a checkup to the super specialist in stones. I asked him how a stone is formed and he said, well, we don't know. He studied for years and years and years to become a super specialist, but he said, we're not sure. Anyway, I was talking about in the kingdom of Inswargaloka, it's similar in many ways to the descriptions are similar to those of Vaikuntha. There's no kidney stones. There wouldn't be much meaning to going to heaven and having kidney stones. Uh, but there are some significant differences also. And 
Well, one significant difference is that it's temporary. Another significant difference is that it's not Vaikuntha, it's full of anxiety. Still, despite having so much happiness. You may wonder, well, how is that possible? Despite having so much happiness, there's still so much anxiety. Well, look at this earth plane that we're on. We'd think that, generally we think that, well, if someone has lots of money and opulence, then they must be happy. People think, I would like to be like, and then you can fill in the dotted line. I would like to be like Sachin Jindulga, or I would like to be like Amitabh Bachchan. But they have their problems also. They're not happy, actually. Generally find the more money people have, the more anxiety they have. So, it's the same in the heavenly planets. There's anxiety. Everything is temporary. So, who is dancing with the Apsaras today is soon thereafter a he-donkey dancing around with she-donkeys. He didn't know he was a resident of... He was a demigod just a short time ago. Now he's a donkey. But the main difference is there's no real consciousness of Krishna. It's an attempt at making the kingdom of God without God. And so actually no one can be happy. The Srimad Bhagavatam points out how we can actually be happy. Everyone wants to be happy. Is it not? Prabhupada often used to ask that question. Everyone wants to be happy. Someone said, I don't want to be happy. The prophet said, okay, hit him on the head with a hammer. You don't want to be happy? All right, we'll make you unhappy. (laughs) So, the natural position is to be happy. Why is that? Because we are parts and parcels of Krishna, who is happy. That is his nature, to be happy. So as part of him, we want to be happy. But... Our nature is to be happy in the service of Krishna. And there's no other way. We can supply everything, everything else can be supplied, but without Krishna, there's no actual happiness. So, the real, ha- real happiness means to simply accept I'm the servant of Krishna and serve him and go to the spiritual world. And if we don't do that, then whatever else we do, we can't be happy. We may think, if I, that's Maya. We think, I will get this, or I will get that, or this adjustment will be made, or if this had not happened in my life, then it would have been much better. But there's no situation in the material world which is happy. So it's just a little adjustment, small adjustment, the whole Srimad Bhagavatam, just points us toward just this little adjustment, little, just like now you're adjusting the sound, a little adjustment of consciousness. I'm not meant to be in this material world, I'm meant to serve Krishna, that's all. And just by that little adjustment, everything is perfect. But we're such fools that we don't believe it, or we don't take it seriously. We think, well, there must be something good in this material world. Everyone else seems to be happy. We're all fooling each other. 
So Srimad Bhagavatam points us toward perfection. We read about, in this chapter we've heard about the four Kumaras going to the kingdom of God. In other chapters, in other sections, we can read about other great devotees, how they, even in this world, directly experienced the presence of the personality of Godhead. But this, it's not talking, it's not talking about simply about something which is beyond our attainment. Generally, biographies are written of great people. There's some internet site with 20,000 biographies on it. That was a few years ago. Probably there's more now. 20,000 or so. So these are biographies of people who have excelled. Rarely are biographies written about ordinary people because no one's interested. So people who have excelled in some field, some great scientist or great welfare worker or great politician, great military genius, Biographies are written about them. So we read about that, but most people cannot hope to attain the position of a great scientist or a great politician, a great soldier, military leader. But Srimad Bhagavatam has biographies of people who are far greater than who are the greatest people in the history of the world? There's Genghis Khan, Hitler, so many, some, we have our modern beauties and there are famous beauties of the past also, the Cleopatra, the Queen of Sheba, these famous beautiful women, they're famous so even though their bones, are, even their bones don't exist anymore, but they're famous for the beauty of their bodies at that time. So, the Bhagavatam speaks of persons who are great in an entirely different way, which materialistic people will not appreciate. In fact, they not only do they not appreciate, they denigrate. Just like people say that Maharaj Prataparudra was a great king, but then after he became a Vaishnav, he became weak. He lost his strength because he became too much absorbed in bhakti. Sometimes people say that, that India lost its strength when they became too much absorbed, too much interested in bhakti and therefore they lost their strength. Of course, Srila Prabhupada would point out that and especially Bhakti Siddhanta he would always, that was a very common accusation at that time, so he would always, you say that the, the Vaishnavism is not a religion for effeminate people, or, and Prabhupada would point out that, that uh, the, the two mo, mo, most famous histories or narrations in India are those of the Mahabharata and Ramayana. And in both cases, the hero is a Vaishnava fighter. 
Arjun and Hanuman. So they weren't, I mean they were chanting, Hanuman especially is famous for chanting Ram Nam, but he wasn't hiding away from the world, he was fighting for Ram. So uh, they were great persons, Hanuman and Arjun, they were great fighters, but they are remembered not just because they fought, but because they fought for the Supreme Lord. Otherwise there have been so many great fighters. And other devotees, they may not perform any apparently great activities, but their, their bhakti is their greatness. I, this uh, book I, I made on Vangshidas Babaji Maharaj, and once I gave it to a businessman, Sindhi, in Dubai. And he looks at the book and there's a picture of Vangshidas Babaji Maharaj, looking as he looks, crazy, with all wild hair and beard, and almost undressed, no clothes. And this young businessman, he looked at it and you know, like, you know, why did you give that book to me? I don't want to be like that. <laughs> so he said, well, who is he? I said, he was a great devotee of Krishna. You know, what did he do? And I suppose if I'd answer, well, he opened so many factories and he, he had businesses in 25 countries. He said, oh, oh, okay, good. <laughs> well, I said, he loved Krishna. He didn't, didn't strike a chord with him. <laughs> you know, What's the use of loving Krishna if you don't open some factories? That was the objection of Nehru and others. That India has been too religious. Now, the, the mandiyas of modern India will be the factories. So they call the factory Shram Mandir, a temple of work. So... Nehru's idea of heaven is you go to heaven and work in a factory. Any factories in heaven? I don't think so. At least it's not described in the Shastra. If there are, what's the use of it being heaven? So the greatness of a devotee is not understood by materialists. So they, they measure greatness in terms of one's ability to unsuccessfully imitate the personality of God. That's what they call success. This whole idea that I, you should be a success, it means you should be a demon. And what they call a failure, oh, you're, you're a failure, oh yeah, that's what I want. I want to be a failure material, I want, I want to have nothing, that's what a devotee is, that's his qualification to be a devotee, to be niskinchan, to have no Nothing, no material aspirations. So the outlook of a devotee and the outlook of a non-devotee is completely different. What a, what a devotee can, or what a non-devotee considers success is his ability to go as far away as possible from Krishna consciousness. And for a devotee he sees that Famous, beautiful, opulent, 
All, all these people simply failures. They simply wasted their life because they had no inclination toward Krishna. This is what Prahlad Maharaj said to Hiranyakashipu, who considered himself a great success. And actually he was, materially. He conquered over the whole universe, or so he thought. At least the part, he, was, he wasn't interested in Janaloka, Tapaloka, Mahaloka, Brahmaloka. Well, you know, what, are they, what, what are they doing there? They're just meditating. What's the use? There's nothing to enjoy there. So he got the, he got the parts of the universe he was interested in, and he was he had all material enjoyment, had everything under his control, so it seemed. But Prahlad Maharaj considered him a failure because Matiyana Krishna Paratasvato Va Mitobipadyatagrihavatana. Your success, you're very successfully chewing that which is already chewed. You're an expert chewer of the already chewed. And although you've conquered over everything, you have not conquered over your senses. So, Prahlad Maharaj, he wasn't impressed by Hiranyakashipu, his success. Everyone else was impressed, but he wasn't impressed. Someone who has got something higher, he's not impressed by something lower. There's that story, I think it was Archimedes, who's a mathematician or scientist, and some the king came to see him and said, can I do something for you? Can I do anything for you? And he said, well, you kindly just stand to the side a little bit and get out of the light as I'm doing this experiment. So for the king, it's an insight. I, I want to, I can give you money. I can, what, do you, what, what can I do for you? I'm the great benefactor. Just get out of the way. <laughs> that's, that's what you can he, 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 he didn't consider valuable anything that he had. And Bhakti Siddhanta is what I call famously also. When he approached Gorky Shodas Prabhuji Maharaj, he, I was thinking myself very learned, very moral, and very respected in human society, very scholarly. And Bhakti uh, Taco sent me to Gorky Shodas Prabhuji Maharaj, who's yeah, it just uh, appears to be like a, another, some kind of crazy man, eccentric fellow. Anyone comes and asks him for, for a diksha, he beats them on the head with an umbrella. and. And uh, so I went to ask him for Diksha, and he, he wasn't interested. He said, no, you're too learned. And then he came back again and asked for Diksha. He said, well, I'll ask Chaitanya Mahaprabhu. Come back after sometime. He came back after sometime. He said, well, what did Mahaprabhu say? And, oh, I forgot to ask. You know, everyone was interested. They wanted to initiate him. They wanted to, they wanted to get this... Siddhanta Saraswati. He wanted to, all the gurus wanted to initiate him because it, it would be a great, very prestigious for them to initiate. But Gorkisha wasn't interested. Then Bhakti Siddhanta Saraswati Thakur said, then I, then I realized that everything that I considered valuable, my aristocracy, my worldly respect, my morality, he considered it all useless. So what did he have that was so valuable when everything that I considered valuable he considered of no 
value whatsoever. So what thing did he have that I realized, that what treasure he had. So he had the treasure. Vipralamba rasambo dhe padambu jayate namaha. His... He is the ocean of the Vipralamba rasa. This is the, the ecstasy of separate, service in separation to Krishna. This is even beyond what's being described here. Here's the, here's described the complete satisfaction of the soul. Here in the purport, Srila Prabhupada refers to the, the satisfaction of being in, that comes from being in the kingdom of God. This prashant inishesha manoratantaram is when one attains service to the Lord, then one becomes completely peaceful and satisfied. Satisfied means the mind is no longer hankering or lamenting. Nashochati nakamchati. These are the the mind always desiring something and always lamenting that I lost something. I didn't get what I wanted. But when one attains the service of Krishna, then one becomes fully satisfied. And the mind is no, no longer desiring anything or hankering after anything because you've got what you want fully, fully satisfied. That is the condition of the kingdom of God. Vaikuntha which is not possible to attain in material consciousness. But beyond that is a stage of such anxiety that uh, mundane scholars, when they read about it, they think it's mental disease. It sounds like that, what they, they refer to it. They say Chaitanya Mahaprabhu was an epileptic. He would... The descriptions are there of him falling on the ground, foaming at the mouth. And even when Chaitanya Mahaprabhu was present, they thought he was, he's become crazy. He had some mental diseases that his mother also thought. Srivash Thakur said, no, this is good. He's got the craziness of love of Krishna. That's very good. So it is such a state of anxiety in separation from Krishna that it appears to be just insane. But that insanity is desirable, that apparent distress, the distress of love of Krishna. That's, that will be described later in the 10th canto of Bhagavatam. Here we're being taken from the material world to the spiritual world. State of satisfaction. And beyond satisfaction is the state of intense bliss of love for Krishna, separation from Krishna. So Bhagavatam is pointing us to, yeah, that point I was making, that it's very unlikely that any of us present here will ever become anywhere near as intelligent as Einstein or as beautiful as Cleopatra was, or the Queen of Sheba was, or 
Rekha was or Sri Devi was or Aishwarya Rai, she's probably also finished by now. Huh? Must be, huh? She's so or we'll never be as powerful as Hitler was or Napoleon was or, or even a much smaller figure like Vajpayee was. But we can attain a much better position very easily. The position of pure devotion to Krishna. It's not just for the four Kumaras. It's not just for Pallad Maharaj or Ambarish Maharaj. It's within the grasp of all, it's within the capacity of all of us. That's why we read Srimad Bhagavatam. It's not just for them. It's meant for all of us. It's our natural position to be with Krishna. We're hearing about it here to, to, from from this side of the Viraja River. It might seem like some kind of fairy story or some unattainable goal. But actually it is attainable. I got a lot of inspiration yesterday hearing, I think we all did, Banu Maharaj was describing how from the very beginning, Vishwa Chagavar Thakur clarifies that point even in the case of a Jamil. The devotee, from the very beginning, he's of chanting, he's liberated, he's free from sinful reactions. Krishna is so pleased. And bhakti is so bhakti is so pleasing to Krishna. He makes all arrangements for his devotees. And even though it may seem that we're struggling along in devotional service. And if we're trying, Krishna notes that. And he helps us. So these uh, descriptions, they, they help to give us faith in the process of bhakti. That if we just go on with this, that Krishna will help us. We're on the auspicious path. We may have what appears to be residual traits of Kamkrod, Lo, Mohamada, Matsarya, or maybe not even traits, and they may be, appear to be very prominent in our personality and mentality. But if we go on with the process of Krishna consciousness, we will, we will attain the goal, as Manu Maharaj was also pointing out yesterday, that if the, the Gyanis are given what they want, and the the karmis again, they go to heaven and the ganis go to the impersonal Brahmana. Why will Krishna not... Krishna gives these benedictions to the non-devotees. So why will he not give the devotees their desired goal of going to Krishna, of being with him, of serving with him, playing with him, stealing his lunchbox, dressing him, all these... It's all that. That's what we're meant for. And soon, even if it takes us a million lifetimes, there's just a, a blip in time. But it may not, by the, by the grace of Chaitanya Mahabharata, maybe the, the great possibility is there that if we try to serve his mission, that very I mean, even less than a blip of a million lifetimes, in this lifetime, as Srila Prabhupada once the devotee asked him, well, 
Will we go back to Godhead? And Prabhupada said, well, we're working so hard to send other people back, then why shouldn't we go ourselves? <laughs> so, uh, 1977, when there's one devotee in Vrindavan, his name was Kutichak from Greece, and his daughter, she was a little mentally disturbed and she was only about five years old and she drank, she, there was some medicine was thrown away and she took that bottle and drank it and she died in Vrindavan. So they asked what, they asked Prabhupada and what happened to her soul. Prabhupada said she went back to God and she died in Vrindavan. She went back to God. Seems such like such an easy thing. <laughs> of course, we don't recommend committing suicide in Vrindavan as one devotee who I was living with I mean, I hope I didn't drive him to suicide, but uh, I mean, he, I was living with him about a year later. He did that. He committed, it was Ruchi. You remember him? Yeah, threw himself in front of the train. So that's not recommended. Chaitanya Mahaprabhu forbade Sanatana Goswami from doing that. He said, wait a minute. Sanatana Goswami wanted to throw himself before the wheel of Jagannath's rat on the Rathiatra day. And Chaitanya Mahaprabhu's he hadn't told anyone that, but Chaitanya Mahaprabhu said, Hey, you can't do that. You surrender to me. Your body belongs to me. You, I don't give you permission to destroy it. Chaitanya Mahaprabhu said, If I thought I could attain Krishna by suicide, then I'd commit suicide a million times. But the process is Shravanam, Kirtanam, Vishnu, Smaranam, Padasevanam, Arjanam, Pandaram, Dasyam, Satyam, Atmanivedanam. That is the process. Anyway, there's hope. No need to commit suicide or do anything drastic in any situation. One may be what is considered insignificant, ordinary housewife or someone just struggling to make ends meet, working to support his family, like this thousands, millions of other people all over the world. But if you're chanting Hare Krishna and seriously endeavoring to become Krishna conscious, then Krishna is watching that person. Krishna is taking him back. Krishna has him marked that uh, in 1977 also, Tamal Krishna Hirsch told Srila Prabhupada, I had a dream there were, there were a group of devotees chanting Hare Krishna and there was a group of drunkards making, making some disturbance. But then some of the drunkards... No, Prabhupada said. Prabhupada said I had a dream. And then some of the drunkards, they were joining the, the chanters. And Tamal Krishna Maharaj asked Prabhupada, well, did any of the chanters join the drunkards? Prabhupada said, no, they're not going to join the drunkards. They're already marked for going back to Godhead. They're not going to join the drunkards. Of course, sometimes we do see that people take to Krishna consciousness and then even after that become a drunkard. It does happen sometimes. But even that, that Narad Muni says, such a person, he's not a normal drunkard, he's a devotee. Krishna, Krishna has noted him, that he's 
temporary relapse, but Krishna will take him back to the kingdom of God. So this, just this consciousness that now I belong to Krishna. If we have that, then Krishna will look after us, which sounds like the, uh, this sounds like the, uh, what's that, the uh, Marja, what's that? Marjajanya, you want surrender and that's it. Hmm? The, the, the cat, the cat philosophy. That, of course, Prabhupada said that our, ours is a mixture of both. It's not that you just take diksha and then it's all over. And, but you have to endeavor also. Because the, the surrender, it's, a, it's an ongoing process. We have to keep on trying. So actual surrender doesn't mean that we just sit in a ceremony and take diksha and that's it, finish. But the endeavor to go on surrendering to Krishna, that is the sign that we actually surrender. Although there may be some rupture or some, some temporary break in due to our own foolishness or offenses or whatever. Hare Krishna. Well... I'm sure you get much more learned classes every day with Banu Maharaj, so sorry. Any questions? Yes, uh, Banu Maharaj is doing, it's actually amazing, translating all the commentaries of Vishwanath Chakravarti Thakur. So many books, it's just amazing. Whoever wrote a book could understand what a big job it is. And just coming out one book after another is just special empowerment. Yeah, any question, comment? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, Prabhupada mentions. The theory of the impersonalists and so-called yogis is that the Supreme Lord assumes a particular form when he comes in touch with Maya, although actually he has no form. Yeah. Hmm? You have a form of the ball. And in the spiritual world... Do they have? We've been discussing this. Then they, but the, the it's what is it? The top half of the body is bore form. In the if we see the traditional pictures. They're eternal here in the spiritual world. Hmm. They're not naimitic. There are naimitic avatars. There are naimitic avatars who they they assume a particular form for a particular purpose. But then others like Matsya, Kurma, Varaha, they're eternal forms. But even those that like the, the temporary the, the Lord may assume a form temporarily, but he doesn't assume it from some impersonal he, his eternal form is Narayan. It's not that he 
is not avyaktim vyaktim apanam manyante mama buddhayaha. It's not that the ultimate truth is avyakta, is non-manifest. And the, the manifest or the form becomes manifest from the non-manifest. Krishna rejects that in Bhagavad Gita. So even though the Lord may assume multi-form, sometimes it says he comes in the form... Where was that? We were visiting recently one temple and said the Lord came as an old brahmana and took away Lakshmi, the daughter of a king who was actually Lakshmi. Where was that? Somewhere here in Tamil Nadu. And then the, the king arrested the brahmana, but then he found actually he was Narayana. And that's local, you know. So. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So he may assume various forms, but temporarily. But that's but that also it's it's not a it's not a Mayak form. The the theory of the impersonalist is that the Supreme Lord assumes a particular form when he comes in touch with Maya. But even if the, we say yes, that the Lord does assume sometimes temporary form.